Welcome to One Fry Short, you know, of a happy meal. I'm Jamie Spielmaker. And I'm Rachel Wynn. We're just two women having candid and empathetic conversations about mental health and how we can support each other. We are not experts. Not even close. But if you want to feel less alone in your neuroses, you've come to the right place. (laughs) A little snorting to start the podcast. Tis the season for allergy snorts. Yeah. I think that is so gross. That is a pet peeve of mine. Oh, I can't stand that. Yeah. I can't stand that. Brian Good is... boy. I have been so sensitive to noise lately. Oh, really? Even more. Like the chewing of food. Oh, we... Yeah. I am enemy number one about that. Yeah. I chew like a cow. Oh, so it's you that does the it's loud me. chewing. It's me. Yeah. See... I'll be sitting on the couch and Brian will come bring food and sit next to me and eat. And I'm like, can you like, and then I just get mad at myself because I'm like, why can't I, he's eating. Why does this bother me so much? It's not just him. Like my parents would eat cereal and it would drive me bonkers. I can't stand fidgeting. Like if someone moves their foot a lot. Yeah. And Connor like, Connor like, he like fidgets and wiggles and itches. And, and the other night I was like, can, can you stop moving? (laughs) Have you watched Wellmania? No. It's with Celeste Barber. Oh, no. It's good. I love Celeste Barber. I've yeah. followed her for a really long time. We kind of, who was I talking, maybe I was talking about with Brian, but like I don't like shows where people are their own worst enemy. Like they put themselves in situations that uh-huh. you know are going to go badly. There's yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. And it's cringy, but it's because she's on the road to recovery essentially. But Yeah. It's kind of like in Succession when, did you watch this past week? Of course I did. When he's like, Greg, are you faking doing cocaine? <laughs> what did he, wait, what did he say? It was like, it was like, what What did he say? Some got up. Some got up, yeah. Jasper, it's okay, baby. It's like, I don't want to get addicted. This is my second night in a row. Buggy. Um. All right. So what were we talking about? Succession. Yes. That was, the last episode was too much stress for me. It that, was not enjoyable. The election. Were you triggered? Yes. A little bit. I wasn't as clued in into the 2016 election as I probably should have been. But that was really, to me, I think there was like a debate about like which election it was about. But that to me was about 2020 when Fox oh. News called Arizona erroneously and early. Oh. And Robert Murdoch, yeah. a.k.a. Logan Roy, was yeah. the reason why... That ah. flew, and that's why they had to settle. I really had liked Roman most of the season. Uh, oh, he was so awful. He was so bad. He really is, like, deteriorating quickly. Well, so was Kendall to me. Well, he just was like a zombie. He was just staring. Every shot was of him just staring. I'm still holding out for hope for Shiv. I'm like, Shiv. I need Shiv to just... I'm still holding out hope for Shiv and Tom. A little oh, bit. He was cold. I know. He was cold. He was ice cold. But I, I, there's something about their relationship that I kind of like. <laughs> okay, the exchange they had two episodes ago where they're going back and forth at each other saying the meanest things on the patio. I was like, they're both spewing truths. I don't know whose side I'm on because they're both saying exactly, exactly what is wrong with the other. Wrong. I know. And the thing is, is you're not really supposed to like any of the characters. They're all pieces of shit. Yeah. And Brian and I are like, how is this season going to end? 
and I have a theory that, well, we both kind of had a theory that they're just going to screw up the company. And then I said something like, yeah, and then they'll end up with nothing. And he's like, no, the whole point of this show is that these people always land on their feet. Yeah. They no always, matter what. They always land on their feet because they can. And, you know, their egos get in the way of a lot. But, like, it's the people they leave in the wake. Kind of like mm-hmm. um, White Lotus season one where mm-hmm. it was like the rich people come in, mm-hmm. screw up everybody's lives that live there. Mm-hmm. They leave no harm done to them. And the employees are the ones who get arrested and get fired. And Yeah. It's like a disaster die. zone. Yeah. yeah and die. The poop in the suitcase. Oh, my God. <laughs> Murray? What is his name? Murray Bartlett? Yeah. Is that his name? I think so. God, I absolutely love him. He's a he's a daddy. He's a zaddy. A zaddy. What does zaddy mean? A zaddy? Like a zaddy. Oh, okay. She's twisting her head around. <laughs> She's bobbing her a head zaddy. around. Zaddy. <laughs> zaddy. He's so cute. He's Do you gay. follow Evan Ross Katz? Of course. Yeah, that's how I know all these people. He is also in um, The Last of Us, which I know you'll never watch. But. I started to, and then they talked about like mush. Was it mushrooms that mm-hmm. were taking over in a pandemic style? Mm-hmm. And I was even Brian was like, Mm-mm. "Yeah, I don't think you'll ever watch it." I yeah. had a hard time getting into it, uh, but then Pedro Pascal, who was also yeah. a zaddy, yes, he is real man. No, oh, he is no. not, honey. He is he not is gay. Very handsome, as, as far as I know. We watched that movie with him and Nicolas Cage. We did too. It's so funny. Oh, we were You like, didn't like it? I liked the first half of it. And then I was like, this would have been so much more interesting if Pedro Pascal had actually been the bad guy. Oh, okay. I see that angle. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And But it was just, it was a little too meta too because like Nicolas Cage, like kind of actually, that actually happened to him in real life. Oh. Yeah, he took a lot of shit roles for like. Oh, yeah. To pay yeah. off debt. Yeah. I can see that. Um, um, We started watching the other two, which I mentioned. Is it funny? It is so funny. I had no idea there's three seasons of it. Where has this show been? With Molly Shannon? Yes. It's hysterical. Brian and I fully, this is our feel-good show. We watch it every night, like mm-hmm. two episodes just to laugh. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Mm. It's Lauren Michaels who does oh, 30 Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's that type of humor. I'm really into Somebody Somewhere. Oh, Bridget love Everett. that show. We are oh, obsessed. Yeah, to have a friend like that. I know. And it's like equal parts just so sweet and equal parts fucking hilarious like yes then the last episode she was like i'm about to pull into a semi <laughs> when, when they were when i haven't seen it yet oh oh okay so they pick up their mom from the nursing home oh. to transport her to a different place and like the, you know they're having this like chaotic but also very realistic relatable like family discussion uh-huh. and bridget's like i'm about to pull into a semi <laughs> And, like, it was just so, like, hilarious and relatable to me because, like, we have all had those thoughts when we're in the car with our families and we're like, "How? wow, what if I just flew out the window? Yeah, you're too captive of an audience. Yeah. That, her, she's funny. Oh! She's a stand-up comedian, right? Uh, I don't know, but I, do you remember she was the hairdresser in Girls for Marnie's wedding? <gasps> and she had the funniest lines in that scene. I need to rewatch Girls. I've watched it no less than five times. Like really? Connor is like, are Again. you really? Is this? <laughs> That's yep, how I have right. sex in the city. I, I've done that too. Hmm. Um, I just find girls to be really hilarious. Well, speaking of girls. Speaking of girls. 
Rachel reminded me yesterday that there is an episode of Girls where Hannah is in the throes of like a major obsessive compulsive episode. And today I'm going to talk about my obsessive compulsive <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Um, I have been thinking about this episode for a really long time and it felt like it was only right to release it during Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, so at the end of February, I started treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I just had my ninth session mm-hmm. last week. And I'm going to tell you about my OCD story. Yay. Yeah, and I just want to preface this by saying I never thought I would share this out loud. When I was going through this almost seven years ago, it was so embarrassing to me and um, humiliating what I went through. And I never thought I would get to the point where I could share it with more than just my husband and my mom. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this is a huge step. But I feel like it's really important to share it because when I was going through this, I felt like I was the only person in the world that was having these sorts of thoughts and symptoms. And I felt completely alone. There were no voices that I could really find on the internet that felt similar to me. Um, I still don't really know of anyone in my age group to speak of that has experienced what I experienced. But maybe I'm wrong because I've never really talked about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just going to go back to the beginning and kind of try to quickly summarize. So in the fall of 2017, I started having like doomsday sorts of thoughts And they were triggered by a few different things. Um, But I became like delusional with what if scenarios. Like my imagination pretty much weaponized itself against me. And I was like stuck in this loop of not knowing who I was anymore. I questioned everything about myself. Am I in the wrong life? Am I really straight? Um, Am I in the wrong relationship? Am I a loser? Do I have a undetectable disease? Um, And I created like like imagine scenarios in my head that I just knew were going to come true. And I would spend hours on my phone researching and checking and evaluating to see if my thoughts were normal. Um, I called my mom in like a fit of tears almost on a daily basis trying to re trying to seek reassurance that I was gonna that I was thinking about things that weren't real Mm -hmm. and 
you know, I remember her telling me a few different times, this doesn't even sound like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Did you I, tell your doctor? This is why I started going to talk therapy. Oh, okay. So this is, yeah, started that. There are many different subtypes of obsessive compulsive disorder. I was dealing with a couple of them. And I brought them to the table to this therapist and she told me she had never heard of them. Mm. So it invalidated what I thought could be OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it impacted my relationship quite significantly. Um, I just could not hold on to any sort of truth. I couldn't trust myself. Sorry, when she said she hasn't heard of them, what was like the next step from that? Was she like, but let's figure out if this is it? No. She just completely I've never ended heard of that. that. Okay, so it wasn't, there wasn't any sort of validation of the feelings or the behaviors that went into that request. No. That's hard. And that's also the antithesis of what I went into I this and, and it's, so the reason I know that I have OCD now is because I had a similar bout of this type of obsessive doubt in the fall. This think, past fall or? Yeah. Huh. I think it was in November. Mm. Yeah, we were taught, we had either, we were just about to launch or we had just launched the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was reading Cheryl Paul's book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and she was talking about OCD. And the root causes of obsessive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, this feels very close to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and and she compared OCD to a loop, like over and over. And I was like, huh, this is feeling a little familiar. Mm -hmm. And um, I have family members that have exhibited obsessive compulsive symptoms in the classic way. Mm. Like the, the, the way that the world understands OCD to be, I need to wash my hands five times. I need to repeat something eight times. Having control over something. Yes, being completely rigid and unflexible to life. Yeah. And um, I never considered myself to be someone like that. I was, I was not rigid like that. I, yeah. you know, but I did have a need to control. Um, so... The reason I know I have OCD is because after I experienced that second sort of like low point, you know, I I don't know that it was really the second. It was probably more like, you know, the seventh or eighth. But I was like, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm just going to find an OCD specialist and just see. Mm-hmm. I had hinted at it on this podcast that I thought that maybe I had OCD. Did you kind of hint it with your family, too? And they were like, no, we don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, because it's misunderstood, but anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so so I I went after I found an OCD specialist. She's actually completely virtual, and the first session was ninety minutes. Oh fuck! To go over my like Ooh. history, yeah, and to like explain why I was there and everything, and I started sort of telling her my story, like I just did with you know. It, when it started which mm-hmm. was in 2017 and like in in the first 10 minutes it was yes this is OCD mm. so can I ask you a question yeah. about it so how does anxiety differ from that because anxiety is you know needing to control and having these thoughts 
How is one to know if it's just anxiety or if it's just... That's a really good question. The difference is OCD is extreme anxiety and to relieve the anxiety, you perform compulsions. Mm. So compulsions can be lots of different things. I can only speak to my personal experience with compulsions, which for me are researching, Mm -hmm. ruminating, and reassurance seeking. Okay. They can be things like checking the oven five times. Yeah. They can be turning the light switch on and off seven times. They can manifest differently for different people. But the ritual is to quell the anxiety you feel around uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, I can't control the outcome of my life. And that gives me immense anxiety and makes Mm -hmm. me perform compulsions. Mm -hmm. Other people become uncertain that they turned off the oven. Mm -hmm. So they perform compulsions. Got it. Okay. So, um, and I think, you know, anxiety can be anxiety without being obsessive. Mm-hmm. Um, like for you, as an example, like you've had patches of anxiety, mm-hmm. but to me from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like it becomes obsessive for you. Yeah, like I can't function because of it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I get so down deep into the thought loop that it like I can't eat, I can't get out of bed, I can't go to work. Mm. Um, and so... What I've been doing for the past four months is ERP therapy, which stands for Exposure Response Prevention Therapy. And basically what me and my doctor have done is we have cataloged all of my triggers, the anxiety that surfaces from that trigger, and the compulsions that I perform to get rid of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. So in ERP, instead of performing compulsions, my job is to agree with the trigger. Mm. So if the trigger is, um, you know, you you really might be in the wrong life. Mm -hmm. You might be kind of a loser. My job is to say, yep, that might be right. Not do anything about it. Yeah. Not do anything about it and let the anxiety envelop you and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, OCD has attacked a lot of areas of my life. It has attacked my professional life. It has attacked my relationship. It, is, mm-hmm. it has attacked my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And my job is to just agree with it. And mm-hmm. say maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. To, I'm kind of at a point now where I'm like, is talk therapy just not cutting it for me anymore? And when, instead of just starting a session and being like, here's what I'm annoyed about today and talking through it, I love that she, it was structured in the sense of like, here's what we're going to, here's this exercise. So... I don't know if she's truly excellent or if this is just like a typical program for patients with OCD, but she, she takes, I mean, she gives me homework. She follows up on the homework. We Mm -hmm. set an agenda at the beginning of each session. Mm -hmm. She writes copious notes. She brings up 
points that I made sessions ago. Yeah. Um, like she is, she was, she is very invested in my case and I feel like she really pays attention Mm. and like I asked her last session because I feel like I have made a pretty fast recovery. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was going to live like this forever yeah. with this like monster lurking in the back of my head, like questioning me constantly. Yeah. And she told me during our first session, cause I was like, is this even real? Is OCD even real or, or, or are, are, are my thoughts valid? And they're trying to get me to live a different life. No. And she was like, oh, okay, so OCD has its tentacles very deep. Mm. So when you doubt that, like, a clinical diagnosis is even real. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, but she said in, she said to me in that first session, we're going to get you through this. We're going to get you out of this. Yeah. Your goal is for me, for you to not need me. Yeah. And I had never heard a therapist say that to me. Yeah. You, your goal is to not need me anymore. Uh-huh. So I, I finished my ninth episode, like I, or <laughs> episode, <laughs> I finished my ninth session with her la- this week on Monday and I asked her what, if it was normal for, <laughs> you're like, I can't toes. tell if I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find a spot to put my foot that you're um, You just like kept, That's it was like reassuring. following my toes, um, <laughs> playing footsie under the um, dining room table. Um. I asked her, I was like, is this normal for it to be this fast? And she said, you are a little fast, mm-hmm. but it generally takes 10 to 12 sessions. Okay. So I'm kind of right so there. advanced. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a great student. Yeah. But I took this, I took the homework quite seriously. Good. And I was like very diligent about it because I wanted to get fucking better. And yeah. I will, I want to say this because this is so important and it was very validating for me to hear on average, it takes patients with OCD seven years to get the right diagnosis. And it took me six and a half. Mm. So I'm right in line with that statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, Why is that? Because it gets diagnosed as anxiety or like is it some sort of autism spectrum with the rigidity? It's misunderstood. It? Yeah. It's misunderstood. And I figured this out completely on my own. I had a hunch. I went to see if that hunch was right, but no one in my life, not my therapist, not anyone had said to me, this sounds like obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Also, cause it's so much in your head. Yeah. Your actions weren't as visible mm-hmm. as I guess classic OCD. And it's not to say that what I exhibited wasn't necessarily classic. It just didn't present the way that our society thinks it presents. Yeah. And, you know, OCD reaches far and wide. You can have harm OCD where you're like afraid you're going to hurt yourself or other people. Mm -hmm. You can have sexual orientation OCD where you question your orientation incessantly based on, based on evidence that is or is not there. Mm -hmm. You can have relationship OCD where you question, question, question your relationship and constantly seek reassurance, which... That happened to me in my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also have uh, germ OCD oh, yeah. where you need to wash your hands five times or the house can't be, it has to be perfectly aligned and into perfectionism. So that's kind of what I was wondering. Well, first about on the clean part, how annoying is it when people are like, oh, I need a 
clean kitchen. I'm so OCD. It's very annoying to me now. Yeah, yeah. It's painful to me to see OCD being like chalked up to just some like mental head case. Like that's that's how the world assumes OCD operates and it can be that way. I have family members that do that. But for me, it manifested differently. Mm-hmm. And patients with OCD are smart. The, Connor once told me that I had an overactive brain and the antidepressant I take, which is Lexapro, helps to check the overdriven brain into like a neutral space. Mm. Um, And so when you have a very active imagination and you are prone to anxiety and depression, I think those can be like really perfect combinations to have OCD. Yeah. And, like, we've talked about perfectionism on this podcast. Was that actually just OCD? Or is that... Some of it, yeah. Okay. Like, the the writing that I've been doing and talking and fucking talking about and not doing anything with it, that's Mm -hmm. OCD. Yeah. I can't get it just right. It Mm -hmm. needs to be just right. And there is no just right. Yeah. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. Yeah. It is a race that is already lost. Yeah. And so, like, for me to know that I'm never going to win against, like, predicting the future or controlling um, situations that are out of my control, like, I have to understand that I'm never going to win. Mm-hmm. And, like, I have to say, like, this... Well, it's it's reframing what winning looks like. Yeah. it's Because mm-hmm. winning is actually not caring <laughs> what the future you know, like winning is it's in not, the, the it's present. It's not, yeah. And I think when I, I wrote a piece about OCD that I, I hope to share with this podcast in some form or fashion, um, I was talking about how the uncertainty that I was feeling turned pathological. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I was like, it's not the uncertainty. It's the intolerance to it that mm-hmm. became pathological we have to tolerate uncertainty as human beings. Mm-hmm. We cannot control everything. And that is the core problem with patients with OCD because there is this insatiable need to quell the uncertainty mm-hmm. and to control it. Mm-hmm. There is this complete intolerance to it. And... That is why people, you know, have compulsions. They try to bring the anxiety down they feel around uncertainty to prove to themselves in some way that they have some sort of control Mm -hmm. over the outcome Mm -hmm. of our life. I have so many questions about this, and I feel like some of them are almost medical that probably need to be like... Well, I can answer them if I can, and if I can't, you know, we'll figure it out. I mean... I think we say that any health advice should be asked or geared towards like a doctor, your, your doctor. For sure. This is personal experience. Yeah. Um, and stuff that you've researched. But it makes me wonder how much of it. I was listening to Dax and he had on Gretchen Rubin, who does like the Happiness Project, and they talked about um, your personalities. Are you born with them? Like, is it nature versus nurture? Are you born with them? And it's genetic, or is it the way in which you were raised? And they were kind of laughing, saying, like, 
it's all about the culture and the society that we're raised in. She was saying it's genetic, but it's kind of laughable that like nature or is it nurture because we're just products of our society. Anyways, it makes me wonder, like, is this the type of thing, like, do we have anxiety because we know so much now? And before, no one ever knew, like, we knew about Ukraine the moment it happened, whereas before, you know, we know we're so connected and we're so, why I have so much anxiety around my children is because I know of all the things that can happen. One kid, you know, and dies away and I'm like, okay, that's going to happen to my kid now. We know so much, but am I, was I born with anxiety or was I? I think that this is a personal opinion. I think that you come into the world predisposition to certain genetics Mm -hmm. and based on what happens in your life, it can either trigger it or, or help it. Yeah. And I think for me, I lived in a kind of volatile family situation for most of my adolescent life. Mm -hmm. And that did absolutely nothing to help my inclination to be anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it maybe is both. And I do hear what you're saying about being so connected, you know. Um, How do you feel? Maggie and I talked last episode about – I was like, I just don't feel like I fit in the stay-at-home mom bucket, and I resist it so much. And she was like, talking about labels don't do us any good. Like, it's mm-hmm. good to know something and feel seen through it, and but you don't always fit in just one bucket. Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the label of OCD and, you know, now being part of it? Is it something that you embraced and you're like, thank God? Or is it something... I have really... I think part of the reason why I struggled with it before I started this new therapy was because I was so ashamed about it. Mm-hmm. I was humiliated that I was so broken down in my mind that my identity became irrelevant. I didn't know who I was anymore. And I have always been someone who has had a pretty good idea of who I am. Mm-hmm. And for me to feel disconnected from who I was – was absolutely terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It was so extreme that I remember telling my mom that I felt disconnected from my femininity. Mm-hmm. I felt disconnected from my own gender. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was just a being in mm-hmm. the stratosphere. Yeah. And like I have always like really celebrated my femininity, I think. And I... I did not know what was happening to me. Yeah. I mean, I I had thoughts about moving home. I mean, I was really, really struggling. And I think now that I know what that was, I feel like fine with like, yeah, I have OCD. Um, and I feel like it's my duty to like advocate for people who have OCD and maybe don't know it Mm -hmm. or have. How did you find your therapist? I, so I went through a couple. Okay. The first one wasn't, I, I, I strongly felt like I needed an OCD specialist. So I went online and I wrote OCD specialist Atlanta. Okay. And I found a practice and in the description of my doctor's, 
um, about section, it wrote specifically the kinds of um, OCD subtypes that she helps. But yeah, that's how I found her. So like if, if, if you're feeling like, the, you know, the reason I sought a different therapist was because like for years I was in talk therapy and I would make progress here and there. Mm-hmm. And like my original therapist got me to the point where I could do things like get married <laughs> and, you know, move on with my life mostly. But it always felt like I was just kind of circling the drain. Like I was just one slip away from just going down the drain again. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I there was just something there that was just not right. And that exacerbated the OCD mm. because it felt like there was something there I, I needed to resolve. Mm-hmm. So it made the crazy thoughts in my head more valid. Like maybe that thought is real. Maybe that's why I can't feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was crucial that I found somebody who, you know, who specialized in patients like me. Yeah. Yeah. And so how many more sessions do you have left? When do you know that you're going to stop? How do you know? (laughs) So we decided next session that we're going to have like a state of the union and Mm -hmm. see like um, where we need to lay off and lean in. And um, I am still working through some like disordered eating stuff that has been – that that I'm I'm excited to talk about that too because that's been like really nice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the OCD part is like pretty under control. I hate to say that because like that's the antithesis of what we're trying to do. But the <laughs> OCD part is feeling like it's um I'm understanding it. Mm-hmm. It's making me more tolerant to my feelings and my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I feel happier than I have in literal years. Wow. It is crazy. Yeah, that's great. So we'll see. I don't know. I think recognizing and getting help is always the hardest and the best step. And so if there ever is a slip up down the road, it seems like you are so confident in this process that it would be easy for you to reach out. So yeah, I I brought that up to her. I said like, is this the type of thing that we could pick back up? Like if Mm -hmm. I for for example, had postpartum OCD mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, it, it has been like this, it's like been like the single greatest gift this year to me. That's amazing. Yeah. I think what's so comforting is the feeling of like, this isn't permanent now. Like, I know this life that I was living these thoughts I was having this isn't my personality it's just fear Mm -hmm. fear of losing that's hope that's so hopeful to know that you don't have to Mm -hmm. live like this yeah and I don't know if I'm gonna keep this in but you know OCD attacked my relationship badly Mm mm-hmm And it started right – it started at a year of knowing Connor. And that was like the greatest year of my life. I was the happiest I had think I'd ever been. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I want to marry him. Mm. And I'd never really thought about that, about anyone. Yeah. And it was devastating to me when that started happening. It was devastating. And 
he kind of, he just kind of saw me through it. He never judged me. He never made me feel crazy. He just was just there. And he once said at a dinner, I've mentioned this before, that I have trouble living in reality. And to me, that feels like the most seen way, you know, he could be there for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I see that she has trouble living in reality. Yeah. And it's like the, the, the version of her that is in La La Land, that's not really her. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he can see that is huge. Yeah. Because I don't know that I could have done it on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have been the partner that was saying, you know, she's coming to me with all these crazy thoughts and questions about herself. Like, mm-hmm. is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, like, and he just like took it like, ah, I feel like that's maybe normal or mm, I don't yeah. know if that's real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of patience and insight on his part. Yeah. Um, so. And realizing that he can't be the person to fix it for you. Either. No, 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 no. And it's been empowering to fix it by myself. And mm-hmm. I. At the beginning of therapy, she asked me what my goal was. And I said to be more independent. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel that way. I feel like I lean way less on Connor. I don't call my mom as much anymore or really at all to say, do you think this is weird or bad or crazy? Is this real? Mm -hmm. And I don't even do a lot of self-reassuring. It's just Mm -hmm. like, hmm, that's an interesting thought. That might be true. Let's see. Let's move forward oh, so and see. By you. <laughs> Seriously, I feel like I'm in a stage right now where I need constant reassurance in every decision I'm making because I'm not confident in parenting. I feel like it's I'm just faking it the whole time and everything scares me. Isn't that a normal? That sounds that's normal. What I can't tell. Like, I think that's normal. Yeah, but... You're way too hard on yourself about your parenting. But I can't stop being hard on myself for it. Why? Because I take it too seriously, I think. Mm. Like, I'm so scared about fucking up my kids. You're not going to fuck up your kids. Okay, I know, but probably like... (laughs) Probably. I will because I care so much about not fucking them up. Does that make... like? You're not going to fuck up your kids. Your your kids feel safe. They have... I know they feel safe and loved. Like, I know their core needs are met. Yeah. Their emotional needs are met. Yeah. But it's... It's so, it's the, it's something in life that there is absolutely no guidebook to. Yeah. Because they're their own people. Yeah. But I'm trying to figure it out and you can't and I can't, I, it's, I can't accept that. (laughs) Like the fact that you can, you're saying now that you sit back and you accept the uncertainty is such a good lesson to learn and something that I realize now that I need help with because it's not enjoyable. I would say I have more hard moments than good moments in this stage of parenting. And I don't think it has to be that way. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, a lack of confidence and a lack of certainty. I think, yeah. And the lack, so the certain, the uncertainty plays into the confidence piece. Mm-hmm. Because when you feel like you you aren't certain, you're like 
well, why am I not? Yeah. I should, I should feel better about this. Yeah. But like when you start to get comfortable with the uncertainty, your confidence goes up. Yeah. Now, I'm not a parent. This is a whole other level of this. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if and when we have kids how I will react as a parent. I have no clue. Yeah, but I think the same lessons apply. Yeah, no, I think so too. That you're learning. And it makes me really um, interested in this. Like Maggie always talks about like modalities of therapy. In mm-hmm. my head, there was only one. Yeah. And I didn't know there were different types. ERP, I didn't know there CBT. were different lessons. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm going through that with my kids right now. I feel like I'm so pro-therapy that when there's like hard behaviors – it's not that I want to fix it for me. It's like, I don't want them to have to struggle with this. I'm going to throw them in therapy. Let's get it figured out. But like, then you start being like, is there, there's so, I didn't realize there's different types of therapy. Yeah. Um, well, should we do uppers? <laughs> well, should we do uppers? <laughs> oh my God, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> okay, my upper is um It's kind of a stupid upper. I can't say that the Vanderpump Rules finale is my upper. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> the Vanderpump Rules finale is tonight and it's oh, my it's upper. Tonight. Oh my god, I am it is my Super Bowl. I am so ready. Yeah. I'm like, will I have a glass of wine? TBD. I, I don't know. I need to catch up on this drama. I don't oh, watch it. I, need I to. didn't watch it either. And then Connor, you know, has been living in Ohio for three months. So I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I know. I'm going to make a fuck ton of bracelets and watch yeah. Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> That's actually my upper is making the bracelets. It's kind of nice, isn't it? It is. The it's perfect, cathartic. Yeah. It's the perfect uh-huh. mix of like left and right brain. And... Whenever I try something new, I realize like my perfectionistic tendencies come out that I didn't realize I, I had because I'm like, this isn't right, like with pottery. But it is so fun. I and know. So I was obsessive about it. I went to Michael's three times. <laughs> I took my kids, I dragged my kids, and they're like, ah. And Claire like <laughs> snuck these like clay unicorn beads in there. And now I just, I'm like, what can I busy the kids with so I can make these? Like, oh, no. And I feel like people have liked them. It's been really fun. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. That's why when I started this during COVID, I started doing this during pandemic and I was obsessive. I made them for everyone in my life. Yes. I'm and, making them for all of teachers. Yeah. It's like so much fun and it's a creative outlet. And yeah. now I am now taking it to the extra psycho oh, yeah. level. She's on level two. I'm on level <laughs> one where I'm experimenting with normal beads and now she's like full wire clay beads yeah yeah like fucking clasps yeah these beads are there's no glue these beads are um african trade beads i don't know what that means it they're just i they're special beads and i order them on on etsy and it's it's reached a level of pathology now in my life they're really beautiful i can't do anything without it being you know yeah (laughs) um a side hustle yeah all right, everybody. I hope this episode was helpful to you. Um, it was a it was a hard one, so we can do hard <laughs> things. 
I walk through fire. I walk. Should that be the beginning? You know how she changes each lyric to match what the show's topic's about? She does? Yeah, she takes a bit from the song that matches what that episode will be about. Well, that's incredibly creative. Yeah. We can do hard things. Like survive OCD. Yep. All right, everybody. See you in June. Congrats, you made it to the end of our show. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and leave a review. If you didn't like it, don't worry about it. It will only cause us to spiral. We also want to reiterate that we are not experts, but please do call or text the people at the new mental health hotline at 988 because they are. Join in on the conversation on our Substack page at One Fry Short Pod. See you there.